Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, we're in an Advent season, as Megan was saying, as we uh, head towards Christmas, one week to go. And the series has been called Prepare Him Room. Creating room and creating room in our lives and our hearts for Jesus. In the midst of everything going on, in the distractions of life in general, and life particularly in this season, this time of year, we need to prepare, create room for God to speak, to know his grace, his goodness, his mercy, his hope, his life, and as I'm going to focus in on uh, tonight, his peace. I trust that God speaks to each of us tonight, and I know he will, uh, as we dive into his word. I don't know what this season has been for you. Uh, uh, this, this last month, these last few weeks, have you, as we've headed into Christmas, and a whole bunch of you students have been studying, and now it's kind of like holiday time, like we have nothing but part-time work or whatever it is. But for us in the Circum household, it has been busy. I said that last week for those at our carol service last week, but uh, it's been a busy time. It is stressful. I had a moment, if I'm honest, this week uh, where, and I'm blaming Megan for this, she had this great idea that, uh, that we could get just at our final bits and pieces of shopping done before the last week of Christmas. I've got to be honest, I've still got shopping to do, but that's, that's for Christmas Eve. Um, and, uh, and so she said, why don't we go Thursday night? Come on, let's just take the kids after dinner. Let's duck down to the, sh- the shops and get our, the rest of our shopping done. Yeah, that wasn't a good idea. That was a bad idea. That was a bad idea, Megan. Uh, publicly naming and shaming. Um, we, we, we're at Garden City. We, it took half an hour by the time we got our ticket to find a car park. It was ridiculous. And I didn't know, because I avoid the shops at all costs, as you know. So maybe you guys are just going, you're an idiot, Andrew. Of course you knew that. And then, and then on the way out, same thing, 30 minutes to get out. And, uh, and so it, it, wasn't, it wasn't good. Well, I'm going to be honest, it wasn't good. Well, luckily we had the cricket going, so that helped. Um, that, that wasn't good for Megan, uh, who is an American and doesn't understand cricket, uh, just thinks it's watching grass grow. And, uh, and she might be right with that too. Uh, but, uh, but, but we sat there. I had a moment as I was on the down ramp trying to get out of Westfield at Garden City. It was like, there's lots of people here. Oh, that's amazing, isn't it? That's an amazing thought. <laughs> There's so many people here, and why? Like, what is it? What is it that draws all these people here for this moment? What's actually, I was going into a deep, you know, kind of like sociological moment of what is going on. And then, I, and then I applied my marketing skills. See, I studied marketing 20 years ago at Griffith. Anyone Griffith? No? Uh, anyway, it was a university for the third world. That's what, that's what they used to say about <laughs> Griffith when I was there. Anyway, uh, All the QUT students can laugh at that point. Uh, anyway, sorry for all you Griffith students. So uh, that I, studied, I studied marketing and retail management. And one of the things that I studied, this is about the only time I'm going to apply my degree. Uh, I'm very excited about this, was that they looked at how brands, brands will seek to tell a story. See, a brand is loaded with a whole bunch of meaning. Whatever that product is, whatever that brand is, 
And see, as I looked at all these people, including us, who are going to shopping centres, we don't just go to buy stuff. There's a whole bunch of messaging that fills our hearts and our minds as to why we behave the way that we behave. And marketers spend millions and millions of dollars every year to tell us narratives and stories about their brand and those stories invite us in. And as we align ourselves to those products and brands as we walk around the the shopping centre, we feel like we're aligning. They tell us something about who we are. We align ourselves. They call this a brand promise, right? So brands have this brand promise. If you buy our product... If you enter into our product, then you will get this in return. Can I give you some of them tonight? Because I think they're going to be very... Here here, here are some of the brand promises that you can get. Starbucks. Some of you would have walked past Starbucks today. You think that when you go to Starbucks, you're just getting a really bad coffee. It's not just that you're getting a really bad coffee. This is the brand promise from Starbucks Here we go, to inspire and nurture the human spirit. One person, one cup, and one neighbourhood at a time. Did you you know that, did you? When you you bought that bad cup of coffee, you didn't think that you were going to be inspired like that. But that is the brand promise. Oh, you want another one? Here's another one. Coca-Cola, responsible for the man in the red and white suit. Their brand promise to refresh the world. That's that's a pretty big promise, to be honest. To inspire moments of opt. When you take that sip of Coke, do you feel it? There's an inspirational moment of optimism to uplift, to create value and make a difference. Do you feel that when you drink that black bubbly stuff? Vans, skate shoes, this is their brand promise. Maybe some of you are wearing Vans tonight. Well, guess what? Vans are designed for the creative pursuit of being you. <laughs> I just thought I was wearing shoes so they didn't hurt when I walked over rocks. But apparently, apparently they're about the creative pursuit of being me. And I feel that. Every, I don't, actually don't own a pair of Vans, so I wouldn't know what it's like. And Disney, Disney, this might be an easy one. This is an easy one. Their brand promise, creating happiness through magical experiences. See, all of these products are actually trying to convey something that reaches deep into the human heart. They're actually trying to give you fulfillment. They're saying we can give you, literally, they're saying this, we can give you happiness. You choose that box off the shelf. You watch that film on Disney+. Plus. We're actually going to give you something more. We're actually going to give you fulfillment. We're going to bring you life. We're going to make you whole. And so as I look at all of us who are going to the supermarkets, we enter into this narrative and we believe the story that there's something about what we buy that makes us whole, that brings order and life. But there's a counter-narrative. There's another story that I want to proclaim tonight that we need to get hold of tonight around this Christmas time. There's another promise. There's another brand promise that we can take hold of and it's not that Santa will bring you presents. It's a promise that Jesus has come to redeem and to reconcile us. There's another promise of peace. There's another promise of hope. There's another promise of life.
If we go right back to Isaiah 3,000 years ago, we go to a well-known passage in Isaiah chapter 9. I'm sure you've probably heard it already this Christmas season. A promise is made to the people of Israel, and it's a promise of peace. This is what the prophet Isaiah, God speaks to the prophet and says this, to the people of Israel who were suffering and wondering what life was all about in the midst of persecution from larger empires. And God says through the prophet Isaiah, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Here we find a promise of ultimate peace. Now, when we hear the word peace, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word peace. Maybe you think of some kind of idyllic moment as you lie in a hammock with a book on the beach, perhaps with your favourite beverage. It's idyllic. It's peaceful. But actually, when the, the, the word peace is used in the Bible, it's actually far richer, it's far deeper. It's, it's the word shalom. Maybe you've heard this word shalom. It's a greeting still today for the people of Israel. They say this word shalom, and, it's, and it means peace, but it's a far richer, deeper meaning. Shalom, and maybe you know this, literally means everything put back the way as it should be. Everything the way that it was created for, everything it was intended to be, it is restored. It's about restoration. It's about reconciliation. It's a relational term. (sighs) Everything the way it was intended to be. That's peace. There is a promise of peace that's loaded in Isaiah. There is one who will come who will restore all things and make all things right and reconcile all things back to the way that they were intended. This is a powerful promise. We live in a world full of promises, promises of peace. And these promises of peace are powerful. They move us. Just as I, I reflected in the line in the super, at, the, at the shopping centre, as I look at these promises embedded in Scripture, promises of peace are powerful because they go right to the human heart. They're embedded in the human heart. It's the longing of every heart. And Israel were longing for a saviour. You can imagine 2,000 years ago now, the people of Israel are seeking, they're looking. They're looking for this promise of peace. They've been reading the book of Isaiah. And they had practices to train their hearts and their minds and to remind them of the promise of peace that was coming. They would gather together for Passover and they would eat together and remind themselves of what had happened when God had miraculously rescued them out of the hands of Pharaoh and brought them through the Red Sea and brought them through the wilderness and into the promised land. But there was, also, there was now a promise of a Messiah that would come that would make all things new, that would restore their hopes. And they were longing for this. They reminded themselves regularly of the promise of the Messiah. They were longing. There was a promise of peace in their heart. But there are also counter-narratives in their time too. There are other promises of peace 2,000 years ago. 
BC 28, Caesar Augustus came up with this idea of Pax Romana. Pax, Latin meaning peace. Peace in Rome. And, and Caesar Augustus' idea was through might and rule that he would bring order under the Roman Empire so there'd be free, free travel and free trade and they built roads and under their might and their rule, under the harsh hand of Caesar Augustus, this Pax Romana would work its way out for 200 years. It really wasn't peaceful. Certainly if you were in Judea in that time, Caesar Augustus set himself up as a person who brought peace. Theologian Tom Wright says this about this time and about Augustus. He says this, Augustus turned the great Roman Empire Republic into an empire with himself at the head. He proclaimed that he had brought justice and peace to the whole world and declaring his dead adoptive faith, uh, sorry, father, that should be dead, that's the wrong word, adoptive father, Julius Caesar, to be divine, styled himself as a son of God. Poets wrote songs about the new era that had begun. Historians told the long story of Rome's rise to greatness, reaching its climax, obviously, with Augustus himself. Augustus, people said, was the saviour of the world. He was its king, its lord. It's in this context, Caesar Augustus setting himself up as the saviour of the world, the Lord, the King, Pax Romana, that in a dusty little back street in a small little town in Judea, Jesus is born. And the angels declare in Luke chapter 2 these words, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, what? Shalom. What? Peace, peace to those on whom his favour rests. There is the announcement of another king. There is the announcement of another saviour who will bring true rest, not from the glory of Rome, but in the back streets of Judea, in a manger, in a trough where, angels, where animals usually eat. This is the amazing thing. The promise of peace is ultimately fulfilled in a person. The promise of peace is fulfilled, came in the person of Jesus. I actually think this is really important, that the promise is fulfilled in a person, not in a set of doctrines, not in a, not in a manual, not in a book, not in a set of laws, not in an idea of philosophy, it's actually a person. And there's something powerful about embodiment. There's something powerful about a person. You see this in our world today. In fact, you've seen this throughout the centuries. You see it in politics. We see it today in populist politics. That, that people are not necessarily drawn to a person's policies, but they are drawn to a person. People vote for a person more than they will vote for policies. You see it in sport. Anyone following the World Cup? Anyone? Anyone interested? Come on, the World Cup finals on tonight, tomorrow. You look, you read through, you, you follow the stories. And, and, and yes, there are stories about teams, 
But often the stories are actually more about a person in that team because people are drawn to narratives and stories. They're drawn to the feats of a person more than a group embodied. We also see it in churches. Certainly not this one, I certainly. But you know, you see in some churches, it's, it's, it's that person, that leader that people are drawn to. And at this time of year at Christmas, People are drawn and people will line up for hours to have a photo with a fat man in a red suit. I don't understand. It's weird, isn't it? And a little creepy. But anyway, let's move on. I don't want to be a Grinch. There is something powerful about a person embodying a set of values And the promise of peace is embodied in the God who stepped down from heaven and came to earth to reconcile us with himself. Wow. He's reconciled himself to us. Why? Well, it comes back to this idea of peace. See, peace is a a relational term. We have peace with one another things restored to the way that they should be, reconciliation. You go right back to Genesis and you read in Genesis 1 and 2, you get this picture of peace, this picture of shalom, everything the way it should be. God said, he created all things he said, it was very good. You see Adam and Eve living in freedom in the garden is this picture of shalom and peace. But, but there is also a choice and Adam and Eve are given a choice Do they choose to remain under the care of God and do they step out and become gods for themselves? They grab that fruit from the tree, you know the story, and they eat it. And then there is discord, there is brokenness. See, the opposite of peace is brokenness. It's it's a broken relationship. And we see as soon as sin enters the world, there is discord. Firstly, between Adam and Eve. God comes and says, what have you done? And Adam starts blaming Eve and they begin having a fight There is broken relationship between humanity. There's broken relationship between humanity and God. And so God casts them out of the garden because they have rejected him. And then we see creation grown under the weight of sin. Destruction comes to creation. There is brokenness between humanity and creation. Peace has gone We know that, we see that today. We look out in our own world, we look at the circumstances that we prayed for even this week, the tragic circumstances in our own state. We look around the world and we see that there is a lack of peace, there is brokenness. And that is why God comes down, he makes a promise of peace and it's not just for the people of Israel, it's for all humanity. That's the covenant he made with Abraham. And so God comes down, he says, I am coming to make all things new, all things right, restoring reconciliation. And he comes and he sacrifices himself. He gives himself in order that relationship may be restored. Because the only way in which any relationship can be restored for any sin to be made right, there is always a cost. And God says, I'm coming down to pay that cost. I am coming to reconcile. 
Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 1. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by what? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus offers himself in life and in death to reconcile us to him. And he invites us in. He says, come, find peace with me. But the invite is still for every person to respond to that invitation of reconciliation. And we are all on a journey. We're all on a journey that God invites us into. And the question is, how will we respond? And we were reminded this week of the story of Augustine, St. Augustine, maybe you've heard of him before, lived in third and fourth century at the end of the Roman Empire, one of the great church giants, one of the great theological giants. He was born in North Africa and he had an unusual relationship with his mother, Monica. And, uh, and he decided to escape and to go and live his own life. So he leaves North Africa and he goes to Italy and he finds himself in Milan, one of the great cities of the time. And there as he begins his journeys trying to find himself and express himself, he, he does. He dabbles with a whole range of different philosophies, sexual expressions, hangs out with a whole bunch of different uh, people tries different things, does different things, pursues success. He's a very smart young man. He tries it all, but he's still restless. He still isn't happy, even though he has done all and he tried all the things that he could. He is still not at peace on his journey. James uh, Smith, who uh, writes a commentary, really, on uh, Augustine's autobiography. Some say it's the first autobiography ever written, his Confessions. He writes this about uh, his reflection on Augustine. He says this, One's own heart can be foreign territory, a terra incognita, and this lack of at-homeness with oneself generates our propensity to run. We still can't find what we're looking for because we don't know what we want. We never seem to arrive growing tired of every place that promise, promises to be the end of the road. It's because the train of the interior life is a wilderness of wants. When we leave home looking for happiness, we're in search of the self we never knew. And ultimately, Augustine comes to a point of recognising that it's God revealed in Jesus Christ where reconciliation, where peace is found. And so Augustine famously says in a prayer in his confessions, a prayer to God, he says, our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. This is the invitation at Christmas, to place your hope and your life in the God who comes to reconcile us to himself. So how do we do that? How do we receive this promise of peace? Well, it comes through faith. It comes through faith. 
The invitation for every one of us and my invitation to you, whether you are a Christian or not tonight, whether you've been a Christian your whole life or whether you're still on the journey and you're asking questions, this prepare room in your heart. Prepare room in your heart for peace by placing your faith in the person of promise. See, faith, faith is always the key to obtaining peace. There is an element of stepping and choosing and holding and grabbing, saying, I'm trusting even when I don't feel peace, I'm placing my faith in God. I'm reminded of that story in the Gospels where Jesus is in the boat, you know the story, and he's fallen asleep and a storm comes on the Sea of Galilee and the disciples are in the boat and they're freaking out because they think they're gonna die. And these guys are experienced fishermen, they know the lake. And so they're dead set serious and there is Jesus asleep. And so they run and they wake up, Jesus, how can you, how can you be sleeping? We're about to die. And this is what Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. And then Jesus looks out at creation. He looks at the storm, the voice that spoke creation into being in Genesis, looks out over the storm and he speaks to the wind and the waves. And what does he say? Shalom, peace, be still. Be in your rightful place. And the thing is, is maybe you've been a Christian your whole life. Maybe you've had faith your whole life, but when the storms of life come, maybe you're walking through a storm right now, maybe in the last season you have, are you going, it's okay, Jesus is in my boat, I've got peace? I'm gonna be honest, often I don't. I go to, okay, how do I figure this out? Like, do I need to make improvements to the boat? Rather than, no, no, no. I've got the saviour in my boat. See, walking in peace and knowing peace doesn't mean that we don't walk through seasons where there is maelstrom, where there is storm, where there is anxiety, where there is worry. The difference is, is that we place our faith in the one who has peace. That's the invitation. Faith gains us access. We place faith in a person. And this is the beauty of the Christian faith. Maybe you're here and you're asking questions, you're on a journey, you're doubting, whatever your story is. Here's the beauty of the Christian faith. There is no other religion where at the centre of the story is a God who steps down from heaven to earth and claims to be God. Oh, there are prophets. There are others who point to whoever their God might be but only the Christian faith can point to a baby that comes and lives and grows up, claims to be the way, the truth, and the life, who dies and then is resurrected to life. We look to a person, we place our faith in the person of Jesus Christ. So how do we place our faith in, there's two movements as I come to land tonight, two movements one is an inward journey and the other is outward. Let me read from 2 Corinthians. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once created Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new order, the new shalom, 
The new creation has come. Jesus is in the boat and he is renewing and restoring that which was broken. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Here's the thing, the inward journey is this. We receive in Christ. We receive the forgiveness and the grace of God so that our sins will no longer, as Paul said, will be counted against us. We receive his grace. That is an incredibly humbling thing. To be able to say, you know what? I'm in need of forgiveness. That takes courage. To be able to say, I need a saviour, that takes humility. But that is the journey to receive Christ in is to receive him as Lord. And when he comes into our life, he changes us. He brings shalom. He renews us. He reconciles us. He makes things new. We are a new creation, Paul says. The old is gone. The new is here. The first step of faith is to receive. And then as we receive his reconciliation, therefore, and then as Paul says, there is a ministry outwards. We are given the ministry of reconciliation. We are called to be peacemakers. It's what Jesus says in the great sermon on the mountain, Matthew chapter five, verse nine, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be sons of God. We are called to be peacemakers. That's a gift because we've been forgiven, we've been reconciled, and so we can go into the world and we can reconcile. That's not always easy, is it? It's not always easy to offer reconciliation, to forgive. Why? Because it's costly. Just as it cost Jesus his life, it costs us to be reconcilers, to be peacemakers. Now this week I, I had to have a conversation. Someone offended me. And I was stewing on it and I was sitting on it. You, you know, have you, have you ever had those moments where someone has wronged you? And you go to bed and you can't you can't sleep because you're just processing what you're gonna say to them. And and you think about the three points that you're gonna give them as to why they were wrong and how they need to that that why they need forgiveness. Just, uh, that was me. Is anybody, anybody else? Or am I just the only one having a public therapy session right now? We all do it, don't we? We get offended. Someone wrongs us and we want to get back at them. And Jesus says, no, 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 when you are reconciled to me, you go out and you be a peacemaker. That doesn't mean you ignore the issue, but you bring forgiveness and grace and mercy and my goodness. Our city needs peacemakers. I, I gotta say, as I look more and more, I think, as I observe, I watch people and they are becoming more and more emotionally unintelligent. There is an inability to be able to have fruitful, beneficial, reconciling conversations. If you can figure this out, guys, you're ahead of the curve. 
to not be easily offended, to be a peacemaker, to love and to care for those who, you, who have offended you is such a gift. And we can do it because of the cross, because of what Jesus has done for us. That is the beauty of the God who comes and makes peace with us. It's the promise of peace. We are called to be reconcilers. See, this Christmas season, this Christmas time, I want to encourage you, remind yourself of what God has done for you. In the midst of the noise and the family gatherings and everything that's going on, be filled with His peace. I know that some of you are going to be going to family dinners, Christmas lunches, and you're going to need to be a peacemaker. You're going to need to be a reconciler. And you're going to need that reminding in your heart of all that God is and what he has done for you. And to walk in his grace. In this season, over this next week, take time and say, God, thank you. The Christmas isn't just about getting that brand that has a promise attached to it or that thing. Thank you, God, that actually you've redeemed and restored me and I am a set free person. I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. The good news of Christmas. The good news of the gospel. You know, tonight, the way that I'd love to land, I'm gonna get the band to come up, is I'd love for us to celebrate. It might sound like this is something you do at Easter rather than Christmas, but I'd actually love to celebrate communion. Remember, the people of Israel would remind themselves of the promise by taking Passover. Jesus has given us communion as a way of reminding ourselves of who we are and what he has done for us. And here's what I'd love us to do is, as, uh, as we respond tonight, is I'd love just to create some time, some quiet. A moment where you can just stop and pause and you can remind yourself of the body, firstly, the body of Christ, the incarnation. That God actually did come down as a baby. He did become flesh and blood. He wasn't some kind of spirit, but no, he gave up his glory to be born in a manger to a virgin. The most crazy story. I mean, who'd think of this? that God became flesh for us and that flesh was hung on a cross. As you take the bread room, just give thanks that God didn't leave us alone. He reconciled us and he reconciled us through, as Paul says, his blood. His blood shed for us, his death, so that we can know life. So as the team play, as the team worship and they sing over us, just encourage you, just sit. Maybe you want to sit with the elements just for a, for a time. Say, God, I just need your peace afresh. Remind me of what you've done. Help me to grab hold afresh of the truth of who you are. So when you're ready, jump to your feet. Come and grab the bread and the juice and take it in your own time. And then we'll worship.
We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.